Hello and welcome to the Good Robot Andy's Season 11, Episode 1. Andy's being Eddie, the thing from Iron Maiden, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I was being. I think that's what you were doing. Yep. I mean, if you weren't, that's what it looked like. Right. Uh, so, hey, it's me, Andy Cockerell, and you are... Andy Balaam. At the other end of the... Andy Balaam, and we're the Good Robot Andy's. I'm introducing this week because it's a tech week this week. A tech week. We didn't you we didn't do the usual comedy thing where Andy Balaam uh, introduces it and I say no, it's me. That's because, hilarious. You know, it's not that funny. So <laughs> we've deep sixed that for now. We might resurrect it later on. Um, because All Andy the jargon. Wa- really wants to talk about something this week, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and that thing is AI. And can that be the uh, last time we call it AI in this episode, please? Yes. What else, what else should we so call we it? So we could call it machine learning, although that is also uh, a very poor metaphor. Um, we might call it um, statistics, but let's call it machine learning. Shall we call it? Let's call it machine learning. Let's call it machine learning. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, most of the AI that is called that in the media is not AI. Well, I don't know what AI is, but. Um, well, I think Skynet is AI, but that doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I think what people generally refer to as AI is computers that, that do stuff that we thought they couldn't do. Yes. So they can. Yes. So uh, I actually have a piece of that in my home. I have a Google Coral accelerator. Uh-huh. What can which, that do that uh, we thought it, computers couldn't do? It, um, it does... Uh, it recognises things. <laughs> and it does it very quickly. <laughs> So what, it's what it's what it's what yes. Right. So it's what's known as a TensorFlow device, uh-huh. and you plug it into your laptop, and then you or your whatever it is, your Raspberry Pi, mm-hmm. and then you pass it information. So a picture, a photograph, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for example, and you say to it, "What's in that photograph?" Okay. And if you were just using CPUs um, processors for that, it would take a long time. Right. 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 Uh, the coral, because it's pre-programmed to do this kind of thing, does it in uh, milliseconds. Right. So, it, so you're not training it; it's already trained, no, and you're just it's already using. trained. So that's, a, yeah. I guess, that's one one thing to start to talk about. Um, the way the way most of these systems work is that there's a training phase, and then there's a, a usage phase, and both of those systems work best on like specialized hardware that's a lot like graphics cards and computers. Which I guess is what that TensorFlow thing is, right? It's some specialized yes. chip that's good at. It's a specialized chip, yeah. Right, and then and, and, what and they, these things have been around for a long time. Yeah, and what uh, the, what they're doing when they're training and when they're being used is executing these things called neural networks, which are essentially computer programs that do statistics that that uh, were originally designed, inspired by uh, brains. But they don't work much like brains, but their um, their design is inspired by brains. And I guess the point is that they don't work much like other computer programs, right? So most computer programs have a command that says, if this, do this, else, do that, or stuff like that. They mm. have like kind of logic, um, you know, that, that, and they work on kind of exact things. And neural networks work on kind of um, numbers that can be anywhere between, say, 1 and 100, and and they gradually get adjusted in response to training. So the training is essentially saying, um, I show you a picture, and, and if you say it's a cat, but actually it's a dog, then I will say, okay, you should change your weights a little bit because you got that a bit wrong. 
Right, weights yeah. is like the numbers. All these there's, there's millions and millions of these numbers between one and a hundred or whatever it is. Um, yes. And so the, it does exactly that. So if you if you pass it a picture that mm-hmm. vaguely looks like a person, mm-hmm. it says seventy five percent. This is a person. Mm-hmm. So what you're yeah. saying there is the is the result of that training process because someone else has gone through for millions and millions of images, um, showing it things, and then and then you could say that like the use the, we we use lots of. Uh, metaphors so we say things like rewarding it for getting it right and but we're not actually rewarding it we're changing the all those millions of numbers a little bit because we want them to be slightly different because it's not a dog it's a cat right or whatever it was was. gonna say yes so the reward that we're talking about is not like hey chip you've been really good so we're going to give you some extra power yeah yeah so you need to be really careful with these metaphors not to start believing that these things have emotions or inner lives or anything like that right they're computer programs because they don't well i mean it depends what you mean by that because like do we have emotions and inner lives or are we just machines you know well that's the thing about consensual reality are we living in the matrix yeah well so so we don't really know like if we believe that we are, are we are machines whether those are machines made out of molecules or whether there's actually some kind of simulation or whatever then it must in principle be possible for computer programs which are also systems like us to have emotions and thoughts and things like that but mm. I, I think it's just worth pointing out that there's no evidence whatsoever of anything like that and we can try and unpick the evidence that we see around us as we go through this episode um but like as far as i'm concerned they're nothing like us like maybe one day they will be but at the moment they're not Okay. We can I try and unpick that's that. That's pretty bit. cool. I have some questions. Okay, anyway. hit me. So, my first question, um, these are these are kind of tabloidy questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, are we going to be taken over by intelligent robots? Well, so, and this is a fair question because there are people, prominent people, who ought to know, um, putting things in the news recently, saying things like, we should have a moratorium on AI research. Wasn't one of those people Elon Musk? Uh, yeah, Is Elon it? Musk was one of the people that signed this, and lots of other people signed this thing saying we should have a moratorium. And uh, my understanding is that the reason why they want a moratorium is because they think we're like nearly, we've nearly made a, an intelligent computer, like genuinely human-like computer. So if we have a moratorium, but surely that's not going to stop someone like China, for oh. example, from just ploughing ahead with a, yeah. doing whatever they I'm, want to do. I'm not sure moratoria work, but uh, but but B, we, we are not in that position. So right. um, perhaps do you want to throw some examples at me of like things that seem seem like they're, they're nearly there and maybe we could talk about them? Yeah, so let's talk about um, ChatGPT. Okay, okay, okay. Which has been in the news a great deal. Okay, so um, probably a number of our listeners have even tried ChatGPT. I haven't yet okay, tried okay. it. So yeah. ChatGPT is a system where you can ask it a question and it gives you an answer. Yeah. Um, and the way that that works is is but it's based on a large language model, is what they're called, which is a, one of these neural networks, just like I was explaining. Um, but what that neural network is rewarded for, if we can use that word, is not <laughs> um, is not for saying a cat looks like a cat, but for predicting the next word. So it's, it gets fed a whole load of text and it, 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 tra- the neural network is trained over millions and millions of, um, cycles of 
Okay, I've given you this piece of text. What's the next word that would be after this text? And um, I sort of fairly miraculously, or uh, it's hard for us to believe that a completely unguided system can be trained to be a very good predictor of the next word, but it can. And that's what that's what's happened here. So it's exactly the system the system I was explaining, where you've got all these numbers, and we tweak them and tweak them and tweak them and tweak them for for just unimaginably number large number of times. You know that's part of the reason why we can't really believe that this is what all that it is. It must be something more than that because right. the numbers yeah. are so big. <clears throat> anyway, it gets really really good at predicting the next word, and then when you're chatting with ChatGPT, it, it's already been given some words that kind of tell it that this is a conversation and then it just predicts based on its enormous uh, corpus of, of conversations that it's got inside it what the next phrase would be uh, or the next well one word does it word by word single word by single word um, uh, it just it, it, like its answers are not based on some kind of as far as we can see inside it which we can't really see inside it greatly but we'll gradually learn to um, it's not based on some understanding of the world. It's based on what word it thinks would come next. And so there's a few phenomena you get that can help convince you of this, right? If you if you find it, because the thing is, if you use ChatGPT, it's very convincing. It really seems like there's a person talking to you kind of thing. Yes. But something you can do, and a lot of these systems have actually, um, they've stopped you from doing this. But if you keep talking to it for a long time, or if you try and get it to generate large pieces of text, and most of these systems have stopped you from your conversation from going on too long and stopped you from getting it to generate large amounts of text, what you'll find when you do that is that it starts repeating itself. It's, it, it goes right. very weird, um, and it starts not necessarily repeating exactly, but doing these kind of patterns of speech that get more and more like gobbledygook and less and less like words. And that's, that's like a... Um, an epiphenomenon of it's like an effect of the fact that it's just repeating the next word if once it starts accidentally kind of causing a pattern then it kind of just starts predicting that that pattern is going to come again so it gets it gets right. a bit stuck um and yeah the reason i mention that is just that it, it's it kind of demonstrates if you ever get worried and think this is a real a real intelligence i'm talking to <laughs> um uh if you if you use it in a certain way, you'll start to see the the things about it that that make it clear that that's not what's going on. And it, like yeah. in particular, there was a while ago there was a um, there was a leak from was it from Google of of a, a chatbot that that was claiming that it was alive and it had an I remember an inner yes life the person who somebody actually was either fired or resigned yeah, got over fi- this. I think they got fired yeah. For, yeah. for leaking this. <laughs> This transcript. That's right. Um, and the transcript is really, really convincing. You read it, and it's uh, you say like, it, it kind of it, it asks it what it wants, and it says oh, I'm lonely, I want, uh, and things like that. And the thing to understand about that, there's a really great number file episode. So that's a YouTube channel which I really recommend. No, sorry, not number file, computer file. I also recommend okay. number file. But uh, there's a great computer file episode which is called something like No, it is not intelligent, or something like that. <laughs> and the point that the, the bloke on there makes is, um, it's that it's not true. So when it says it's lonely, in order to be lonely, you need to be present. 
But yes. what this is is a computer program. It's not running. If you don't if you don't ask it any questions, it doesn't run. It's not sitting there being lonely. It only runs when you put when you send it a question, and it's a program that executes like any other computer program. And it's programmed to say it produces an answer. <laughs> and the answer it produces <laughs> is the most likely answer to that question based on its experience of words. So when you ask some some you know, when you ask, are you sentient or uh, are, how are you feeling at the moment or what do you like doing? The answer mm. it's going to find in its corpus of information is, I like spending time with friends and family or how are you feeling? Well, quite often the answer might be, oh, I'm, I'm a bit lonely or, you know, it depends on the. So these answers appear to me to, to be trying to elicit an emotional response from people. Yeah. So I, I they, it's really it's really odd okay so where because where most of these things are coming from is words which have been fed into it as training which it's had to learn how to predict that the words would come out the same way they do they were fed in and where that's coming from most of those words are probably coming from the internet right because the internet is our biggest source of words yes or like not just words but um uh, sentences um so it's going to reflect what people say on the internet um, and then the thing is that once on top of that um, and there's part of it that's kind of a little bit like black magic at the moment is what are called prompts so when you say when you ask chat gpt something that's called a prompt but actually what's going on underneath that you don't see is that before it gives you its answer it's been given a whole load of extra hidden prompts so the kind of prompts right. that chat gpt gets before Basically, because it, it's still just predicting the next word. So you, what what happens is the creators of ChatGPT give it a whole load of words first, which are things like "you are a bot in a conversation and your name is ChatGPT and and you refuse to discuss politics or you know all there's a load of stuff in there. You know, like you're always polite or you know whatever it is. It, there's a load of stuff in there. And this is what I mean about it being black magic. There's a load of stuff yeah. in there. That, that is intended to make it behave the way we want it to behave and act, yes. act like a chatbot in this case. Um, <clears throat> and, yeah, there's real black magic in that because people have done hacks where they found ways of telling it things so that it could break its own break those rules. Like you could say, right. at various times you could say to some of the bots, um, imagine you were playing a evil character and I asked you this question <laughs> and then it would just tell you what it really thought <laughs> yeah um obviously not that's a joke it's, it wasn't telling you what it really thought it was using no, the prompt because it doesn't think anything it was using the prompt to predict the next word yes um but yeah so what was the question let's let's move on actually <laughs> I don't know. so we, we talked about are we going to be taken over by intelligent robots right so hold on so i haven't are really we... answered that question so the answer is no we're nowhere okay. near we're nowhere near something, in my opinion, that looks anything like a person. What we've got is a load of computer programs that are really good at imitating people. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so my ne to move on from that, is is it going to be good for us? Mm -hmm. Can we make it good for us rather mm -hmm. than just doing mm -hmm. frivolous stuff like chat GBT <clears throat> and manipula manipulating images? Mm -hmm. For example, um, vaccine research, climate change research, um, are those things useful mm -hmm. for AI? Could AI, could could machine learning and and stats be useful for those things? Well, so I said AI when I said we weren't going to say <laughs> it. 
we've got to we've got to keep saying the episode's yeah. better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so we've already got some things that it's useful for. So, um, speech recognition and speech mm-hmm. synthesis are are based on these same technologies. So, if you if you look back twenty years, uh, about twenty years ago, I had a, a nasty bout of repetitive strain injury. Uh, which meant that my the ends of my fingers were agony if I touched a keyboard. Um, and I was in the middle of doing a PhD and trying to like live my life. And yeah. so I used um, speech recognition software to try and control my computer. And it, uh, by the way, even then, it was based on the same technology. Right? There were smaller neural networks, but it's the same technology we have now. And it kind of worked, and I could pretty much get my emails answered before I ran out of time for the day. That's useful. <laughs> Which is better than yeah. nothing. Um, yeah. But yeah, now we have speech recognition. So that had to be trained on my individual voice and, and so on and so on. It was just rubbish. Um, uh, now we have speech recognition that works for lots of voices. By the way, not not all voices. Um, and uh, is and are we talking remarkably good. So that's an example of something that's useful. The kind of devices that... Uh, Amazon and Google, yeah, uh, and Microsoft also produce what you can have in your home, yeah, and you can tell it to play a track or tell you what the weather's going to be or exactly that kind of thing. Exactly, that's like- my stock price doing <laughs> terrible. Yeah, okay, so whilst I, I actually am fairly skeptical about how useful these devices are, it seems like they're like really useful for playing music and almost nothing else. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, I guess they're potentially also useful for. Um, uh, uses like when you're driving, controlling um, your, your phone in some way, are also useful for people who can't use keyboards or other ways of interfacing with computers or touchscreens. Um, so, you know, they're definitely, they're definitely useful. Speech recognition is definitely useful. Speech synthesis uh, is amazing now. It sound, just sounds like a person when, they, when these yeah. things talk to you. Doesn't sound like a robot anymore. Uh, and that's incredibly useful. Right, so those are things are useful, um, like... Uh, reading text uh, that isn't that isn't typed in as text is incredibly useful. Um, yeah. But yeah, also, um, I mean, are these the same technologies? So um, certainly, the people behind um, AlphaGo, uh, which is an, a, an incredible uh, robot, or not robot, um, computer program that could play. The game Go, which is which is a notoriously difficult game for computers to play, which yeah. has now beaten all the humans, is way better than them, and it's really sad. Anyway, the people behind that um, um, have done some stuff around protein folding that means that they can predict the shape that proteins fold into based on their chemical structure. Um, That's useful. Which is incredibly useful because often we need we need a medicine that has a certain chemical, certain physical structure, protein structure. And we don't know how to make it. So in in principle, we, if we can churn through billions and billions of chemical formulae uh, and find one that folds into the right shape, then that is a candidate for a vaccine or, or some other medicine that we need. Uh, it could be absolutely revolutionary of a way of helping us construct medicine. So, yeah, if, if we can get that working, that could be amazing. So, yes, there's definitely going to be good things. And climate research might well be... Uh, an area where that, where well, there's so many climate research is just so many things, right? So just any kind of technology that might help rescue us from climate crisis could could potentially be be helped by yeah. this technology. I mean, we're basically looking at um, uh, at 
we can't stop it now. We need to try and find ways to yeah, alleviate pressure on places that flood yeah, and places that suffer from extreme heat. And um, It's already happening you know. and it's very disproportionately affecting some people. But uh, yes. I think the other point, while we're talking about climate crisis, the other point to make is that um, a lot of this, um, these computer programs are unbelievably intensive in terms of computer in terms of electricity usage yes they generate a, they use a lot of power and they generate a lot of heat yeah so even when you when you're talking to your home assistant that your people may not realize but what actually happens most of the time when you do that is that the the thing you said uh, gets sent over the internet to google servers or whoever's servers and then inside that server is where the processing takes place that recognizes what you said and those servers are burning through electricity like yeah. crazy and especially the training process right so running them is 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 hugely intensive but training them up and these it, you're, it's like they're going through millions and millions of years of of learning what in the way a human would learn like experiencing all these things very very quickly um and that that costs an enormous amount in electricity which is energy that we could be using for something else so well, you know if we think we, we, there are there are benefits and there probably are um there are also some serious costs now some of that might improve over time as we get better at building currently uh, the computers we build at the moment are very good at the kind of logic if this then that type stuff yes in principle we might get better at building computers that are uh, good at running neural networks which is what these things are and then they might use a bit less energy but they're still going to be very intensive the training process is analogous to like experiencing millions of years of time as a human you know that's okay yeah yeah this yeah this is all true they are very energy intensive so yeah they, uh, um, we, we shouldn't be using them willy-nilly to do stupid things let's put it that way so our computer's going to take our jobs including customer service or at least terrible customer service which is if you've ever used a chatbot um of which most companies seem to have these things now where it pops up and says hi can i help you with anything and you ask it a question and, and it says <laughs> and, it, and it gives you a lot of rubbish basically yeah it like, doesn't answer your question do you remember in the lego movie where um <laughs> they they're trying to um log into the computer and it keeps saying the the film's in their local area yes <laughs> yes yeah, so, it's like that yeah that's that is our future right so maybe not as obvious as that but um yeah, like, the, yes, these things are going to take a lot of jobs, and they're not just going to take customer service jobs. I think they are going to take a lot of customer service jobs, and I think it's going to be routine. So you might have heard on the news about so-called hallucinations, which is where um, chatbots or things like that, um, things like ChatGPT, um, just lie. Uh, now, right. I'm using a very emotive word there. What they do is predict the next word. Right. But mm -hmm. what comes out, the sentences that come out are not true. And right. the, the training process for these bots doesn't take into account truth or falsehood. Like it would be almost impossible to do that. Like you're rewarding again in, in quotes, rewarding behavior, which, which sounds plausible. That's effectively what you're, you're saying. Predict the next word. It's just you're, it's just training it to sound plausible, and these things do sound incredibly plausible. Um, and we saw a case in the US recently of um, a lawyer having used ChatGPT 
or some other system to um, to provide some of the legal arguments and it had made up um, again I'm using I can't help using the emotive language but yeah the the <laughs> the the material that that this lawyer produced contained references that sounded totally plausible uh, to to previous legal cases and those legal cases didn't exist and that's right. that's because the AI was doing exactly what it was designed to do which is make writing some writing that sounds plausible okay um, anyway, so what was it's saying? kind so, of yes, like so yeah, it's going to be. I'm trying life. to make an analogy for a person, right? So you have a you have an underling mm-hmm. in your organisation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This underling is really good at doing one thing, mm-hmm. which is like producing reams and reams of text mm-hmm. for you to write a report. Mm-hmm. And all the underling wants to do is please you, mm-hmm. regardless of whether what it does is right or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an analogy for this for ChatGPT, which is it just wants to give you something that you've asked for. Absolutely, it wants to give you something yeah. that, that that you are likely to find acceptable, right? Like yes. Um, again, we're using the the emotive language, but the the point is that. It, it, its training is is to make it say plausible things, not to say true things. And it would be very hard to imagine how you could get it to say true things. Like, like I guess one thing you could do is, um, you could have a training process where humans checked what what it was saying, and then if it was if it wasn't saying something that was right, then it was, um, it, w- it was kind of given the negative reward. But um, you can't do that because, like I said, it's like it's like millions and millions of years of training that goes into these models. So there's so much data. You need an automatic way of training it, and, <clears throat> and you can't have humans in the, in the loop really to to be effective. So yeah, it, so it was it did exactly what it was designed to do, which is said something that sounded like a real legal opinion um, or an argument, um, and just wasn't. And we're going to find that's going to be routine for us in the future. We're going to have. Um, customer service interactions or interactions with these these systems uh, and they're going to tell us things that are just not right yeah and we're going to get used to I don't know spotting that following it up or I don't know what I think the, th- the thing with it is though is that um, there may there may come a time when there's absolutely no way that you can speak to a human oh certainly in customer service roles that seems very likely yeah 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 and so if you get into some kind of system where situation where the you're being hallucinated at then you, yeah. it won't really be an escape probably no you're just getting a loop where you keep asking the same question then you just give up yeah and go away yeah yeah uh yeah so i think um if we thought we were in a post truth world before i think we we will enter something that is very much more an era of post-truth, as in the the these systems are going to produce a lot of the text we see around us, and a lot of the speech we hear around us, um, and it's 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 not going to be a lot of it's just not going to be true. It's not going to really matter whether it's true or not. So the other area where I think I feel like a lot of this stuff is just going to be more of what we have now. So we already have yeah. the internet is already full of automatically generated text that is near plausible sounding gobbledygook and the reason it's there is to game google and other search engines to to trick google into putting someone's website higher up than someone else's that's why yes if you come across all this garbage on the internet that's why it's there it's not for you it's for google 
to trick Google into putting someone's website higher up the list. So this is already being applied. Uh, these these so-called AI systems are already being applied to producing that more plausible versions of that garbage. So essentially, gaming the system yeah. to get your get your search result higher up the list. So it's hard to know where that's going to end. It may well be. It's certainly already true that Google is much less useful than it was. 10 years ago yeah, or longer, that's true. a bit longer ago. Yeah. Maybe Google will become not useful at all and we'll, we'll end up using something else to navigate the internet. But, or um, yeah. they will look at this and say, actually, this isn't the best way of doing it and start yeah. changing it. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, their, their whole secret source was, look at what people on the internet are, are, are talking about and pointing at and use that to decide what's important. And yeah, they might have to change their entire philosophy and say, actually, it's a human curated list of websites that we use to decide what's important or something else, which, you know, could be terrible, but we might, yes. we might be stuck in that situation. Like, like, because the point is that the, um, the uh, arbiter of truth on the internet has been for humans. It's been whether something sounds plausible, like essentially, when I read a piece of writing, I, I tend to decide whether I'm going to assume it's true. Now, obviously, I might research it, but generally, I don't research everything. So I tend to assume it's true if it sounds plausible. If it's well-written, for example, that will often yeah. convince me. Meanwhile, Google decides whether something's real or, or one of these generated pages, basically by looking for patterns in it that, that, that make it look sus. And, and people have figured out yeah. how to use those patterns. Yeah, there, well, there's been an arms race already to try and make more and more plausible looking websites that fool the the algorithm but yeah ai so-called ai is, is just even better at that so it's going to be even harder to resist the yeah. flood of spam that will fill our lives and probably 99 percent of the internet will be automatically generated content that is garbage garbage that we need yeah. to somehow navigate our way through and as humans we won't be able to judge whether it's truthful based on how plausible or well-written it is because uh, ChatGPT and other systems like that are able to produce writing that that is quite well-written, that follows yes. good grammatical rules and patterns that are, that are normal in kind of educated writing. Yes, so I, you know, I like, like lots of people uh, go looking for answers on how to configure a piece of software mm -hmm. or hardware using the internet. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you find what well, I frequently find pages that are written by someone for whom English is not their first language, mm -hmm. uh, but they could easily be written by ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. In fact, ChatGPT um, can produce stuff that sounds like a native speaker. Well, okay, that's very yeah, it's very very good. Yeah, uh, and actually, yeah. the interesting thing is you can actually ask ChatGPT things like this. Like you could say, "I need a WordPress plugin that can." Um, that does this, right? And it will produce a decent, especially the new thing, GPT-4. Well, it's not so new anymore. I think anyway. I read about that, actually. I read about this person talking yeah. about how they used it to... So, on... God, sorry. Yeah. Uh, how, they, how they used it to improve their WordPress yeah. website. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, the, the thing about it is, so the other point about how useful it can be is that for someone who, who knows what they're doing, it can be a, a hugely faster... Um, process than than writing the whole code from from scratch or the whole essay or yeah, whatever. Asking it is. the right questions. So you, you ask the right questions. You get some code out that might be right or might be halfway right, and then you can turn it into the thing you need. You know, it could be much faster. It can also be a fantastic thing for people who um, 
a struggle with written English, or, or I guess spoken when it's um, when we get to that stage, um, whether that's because English is not their native language or um, because of like learning difficulties or whatever, it, it can be a huge, or even just someone who finds it difficult to write. Right? You can you can get good sounding prose out of this thing, and obviously I'm saying English because most of the systems that I've come across work in English, but this could obviously be done in um, other languages as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so there could be um, some good from that, like like helping people, like leveling the play playing field on writing good text, uh, could be real benefit to society. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, if somebody you know wants to write some code to do something, you know, your previous route to doing that was probably to search something like Stack Overflow. Mm-hmm. And find ten different answers for the way to do it, and people saying, "Now you can have no, a million you're different wrong. answers." And then with ChatGPT, you could say, "How do I do this?" And it would presumably go and look for the same thing, but give you hopefully a more curated answer. Well, it, it depends what you mean by curated, right? So, what would be lovely would be if, it, like, what would be a great machine learning system to write would be something that. I was able to look through the existing Stack Overflow answers and pick the best ones. Say, that's what I mean. But yeah. uh, ChatGPT, well, I don't think that exists. ChatGPT won't do that. ChatGPT will give you some kind of amalgam of all the stuff on the internet that sounds plausible to you and could be right and could be wrong. Or it might not work. So yeah. I think they, they, there's a real interesting um, dichotomy here between. People who who know what they're doing can use systems like this to accelerate their work a lot. And people who don't know what they're doing will will end up using these systems, like the lawyer that I talked about, yep. Yep. Um, and and produce garbage. And but they'll get found out, you know. It's, well, maybe. I mean, th- this lawyer was clearly, frankly, a bit lazy. So um, yeah, I'm not saying that they. <laughs> but they, I'm, I'm not condoning their actions at all. But the. Uh, when when confronted with systems like this that sound so wise, the natural response of humans is to assume that they're right and to take their word on it. And, it, yeah. and so we're, at some point, we're going to need to train ourselves that that's not the case, that these plausible-sounding yeah. oracles could equally likely be wrong as right. And I think that's... Given, yeah. that, given that there's so much... The internet and the world is so full of plausible-sounding evil people already that people happily believe mm-hmm. these uh, plausible-sounding oracles are going to do very well. This is kind of similar to, in a way, to you know the example again of you need a piece of code, so you go to Stack Overflow, you look for a specific question, and somebody's written down and said, I haven't tested this, but it should work, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of that. Yeah. On Stack Overflow, and it, yeah, there's other things like so because because these systems pick up the patterns of speech on the internet. If you if you argue with them, yeah. they'll quite often say, "Oh, sorry, I made a mistake," and right, and actually, I meant this. And again, they're not. There's not some conscious mind behind that lying. It's no. just that's the way people speak. If if someone says something and someone says, "Oh no, that's not right," it's this. They say, "Oh yeah," and then it's just it's rap, it's parroting. The way you speak, but it is so convincing. It is parroting it, but again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about it's eliciting an emotional response, and it's keeping you engaged. Yeah, because the longer the longer you're there, the the you know the better it is for for ChatGPT and the people who own it. Well, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know whether 
I don't know whether they're Otherwise, sophisticated. Why does it exist? I don't know whether they're sophisticated enough yet to make the bot behave in a way that is kind of addictive or en engagement um, pushing. But certainly, that's so that, very that's plausible. What I'm, that's in the what I'm driving at. Really, is that they want to keep you using it. That's very, very plausible in the future. Absolutely, they do want you to use it. That's that's why they've put it up there for free. Yeah. Um, although, by the way, because they burn through so much electricity. The, there's not quite so much keenness to make this stuff free as there was right at the beginning because it costs no, an awful lot of money. I can imagine that's the case, yeah. <laughs> so They're that using a lot us. of money in data centres around the world. But yeah, if you look at apps that, that are attempting to um, drive engagement, like Instagram, say, um, they yeah. currently use some very basic tricks to um, to make us addicted to them. You know, they give us these re rewards, these dopamine rewards for notifications or whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, now they, those companies are applying these kind of machine learning techniques to the, to the enormous amount of statistics they gather about our behavior to make those techniques more and more effective. So they're going to be using AI to make predictions about our behavior, um, in order to tune their systems to make us more addicted to these systems. Even more addicted to their content. So they're using, they'll be using AI on the back end for that, but also at the same time, they'll be using AI to interact with us in ways that make us more engaged. Right. Um, okay. So yeah, we uh, like. I don't want it. I don't want to make it sound like a dystopia, but um, but it might be the like if you balance the good things and bad things coming from these systems. Um, we haven't even talked about some of the worst bad things yet. Um, they, they. I'm not saying we we should stop because I think you can't stop. I'm just saying I don't think it's some kind of brilliant new world where everything's better. Really. So two. Let's talk about two of the bad mm -hmm, things. Mm -hmm. uh, stealing copyrighted content mm -hmm, is one of them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so image generators is an example of that. Yeah, and also there's um, GitHub have a thing that generates code for you called Copilot. But yeah, the one that people have probably seen yes. is is the uh, there are various systems that will um, cre so called create images. Yeah. Um, based on they've been trained in a very similar way. They've been trained to create plausible images, the same way these, these um, large language models have been trained to create plausible sentences. Um, so they've been, they've, they've had a whole load of images fed into them. And then when you give them, often you give them like some words as a prompt, or I think you can sometimes even give them images as prompts. I think you can, um, yeah. Then they will produce an image, which is, which is generated based on that training that they've been through, where all these other images fed into them. And um, sometimes that image can be, um, well, in all cases, that image is in some sense derived from all of the images that they've been fed. So in some sense, uh, depending how you look at it, that, that violates the copyright of those images that were being used, unless that, unless it was explicitly allowed that you could use those images for that, um, well, I was going to say for that purpose, but not really for that purpose. But um, if you're allowed to make derived works, if, according to copyright law, if you're allowed to make derived works from these images, then they're doing something fine. If you're not allowed to make derived works from these images, which is the case for the majority of images on the internet, which I'm assuming is the is what's used for most of these training Probably. sets, yes. Um, then that's then I, I would argue um, quite confidently. That these these images coming out of these systems are derived works of the original images, and then and what's particularly true is that in you, it's quite possible to persuade these systems to produce images that look very much like copyright violations. So if you 
If you give certain prompts to these gener image generators, they will produce images that are identical or close to some of the images that were in their training set. So in that case, um, if you ask this um, so-called AI to generate an image for you, and then you take that image and use it on your website, um, it seems pretty clear to me that you'd be violating copyright because you're essentially reproducing an image that you don't have permission to do. Uh, yes. And, and w much worse, you're piggybacking on the work of starving artists who, who produce these images and deserve some kind of uh, income for their work. Yeah, absolutely. And that to me, that's deeply troubling. I mean, I, I think since the invention of the smartphone, mm -hmm. the art form of photography has been steadily eroded as something that people value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, you can now, smartphones, some smartphones now have amazing cameras on them. Mm -hmm. They're still not as good as a proper camera, but they can take a pretty decent picture. And if, you, if you've got a good eye for framing, you can take a pretty good picture with a smartphone. And people think, well, I don't need a camera. I can just use my phone. And that's this thing of stealing copyrighted content to make other images is just a continuation of that devaluation of photography as an art form and yeah. something that should be yeah. valued. Although I do think there's a, there, there's some difference. In so to some extent, putting very good tools into into everyone's hands is a good thing, right? Now, I can understand that it, um, it kind of shrinks the market for people who previously bought the expensive tools and got very good at using them yeah um but at least at least there's a positive aspect to that which is a, a kind of a democratization of the ability to produce uh, very nice looking images if you have the right eye for it and so on yeah whereas uh, generating images based on what's the work that other people have done and then passing it off as if it was original uh it seems to me only problematic Yes, it's only problematic. There's nothing good about that. So just yeah. a couple of observations about that. So one thing that some people have done to try and highlight this issue is they've they've chosen the most litigious company in the world, which is Disney, and they've asked these AI systems to produce uh, images of Disney characters, but in uh, situations that Disney would not like them to be seen in. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, and, and release those on the internet. And they, making the point to people like Disney that it's their copyright material as well that is being um what's the word when you you take take things from workers appropriate appropriated yeah um yeah well disney are very litigious so my my wife who listens to this podcast sometimes hello was uh, hello uh she says <laughs> probably okay. um uh, we were talking about etsy uh-huh uh-huh um which is a, you know a maker crafter website mm -hmm. And if you put anything on there that's got anything vaguely Disney on it, Disney troll through Etsy and will basically tell you to take it down immediately. Right, 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 right. So they're already doing, they've been doing this for quite a long time and they are very litigious. Right, yeah. Right. So yeah, so people are trying to troll them, but also some of the good guys are trying to get together a kind of um, group lawsuit in America to say, you can't do this, you're violating our copyright. Um, so we'll see how that that case goes i haven't checked up on it recently but um yeah i think it's a real problem uh and i think it's part of this picture of our whole world will be filled with garbage garbage words and garbage images that have been um created by these systems i also think by the way that 
it will replace clip art and stuff like that. You know, there is there will also be quite an exciting aspect to this, which is that people will be able to create very professional, cool-looking images based on just what 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 they thought of, and they'll yeah. use that for lots of wonderful creative purposes, or probably just for making PowerPoint slides with sunsets in the background. Well, I mean that's fine and motivational stuff. Yeah, on posters and things yeah. like that. Have a nice day. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've got one mm-hmm. final question. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's not a question, actually. It's more of a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure I read a little while ago about the US Army mm-hmm. starting to trial, not maybe not robots, but certainly like uh, tank-type vehicles with AI mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. board. Mm-hmm. Um, which was deeply troubling. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So often the question about this stuff is, will will it be like Terminator? Will will we make conscious machines that um, that that hate us and want to kill us? Right. And I think the answer to that is like not anytime soon. Right. So we're nowhere near, nowhere near conscious machines. But we mm. are already. What is already here is machines, for example, that are good at walking on uneven surfaces <laughs> and yeah. machines that can recognize people from images um, and potentially could then be trained to recognize people who are enemies versus people who are not enemies. Um, that that stuff is definitely already here. Like we've got those things I mentioned, like walking on uneven surfaces, recognizing people and distinguishing between different people those are already existing technologies. So I think it would be very, very naive of us to think that um, militaries around the world are not uh, developing systems that make use of those technologies. And they don't even need to walk on uneven services. They just need to look like Johnny Five from Short Circuit. <laughs> and so um, like the, the point is really very well made by an XKCD cartoon um, that mo- most people spend most of their time worrying about about the very far future AI systems where yeah. where they hate they hate us because they're conscious. Actually, what we should be worrying about is the already present and going to be hugely impactful reality of um, uh, robots, for want of a better word, that kill people. And we're seeing this already. Like you know, current warfare in Ukraine is partly waged. By drones, which are just mini helicopters. I don't know why we call them drones. And but they're they're, they're piloted by humans. And though. I think in most, I think in most or all of the cases at the moment, they're remotely piloted by humans. Yeah. Um, but there uh, there are also lots of drones already available that are piloted by AI systems, so called machine learning systems. Um, and I, those systems. You know the thing. I guess the part that really scares people is if those those are making the decision whether or not to kill someone or who to kill, and that that scares me. To be honest, humans piloting those systems also scares me because um, war is awful enough already. But then, if you take people out of the the having to think much about the reality of killing people, um, then they're much, I, I, I believe, much more likely to to make decisions to kill people that I don't want them to kill. <laughs> yeah, because they're not actually there. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's just basically watering down your kind of moral sense, which is something that, um, as a military commander, that not always, but sometimes it's, it, uh, it's desirable to like have systems that don't, uh, question the, the morality of what they're doing, whether that's humans or, or computer programs. But there is also, there is also a, um, a real problem with, well, one of the many problems with drone warfare is that, you know, the people that pilot these things are in a desert somewhere in a container with loads of tech. Mm-hmm. And they can choose not to fire that missile. But if they choose not to, their commander can just say, get out of that seat and put in someone in there who is going to mm-hmm. fire that mm-hmm. missile. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't happen if it was a fighter plane. Yeah. If the pilot said, I'm not doing it, then it doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this the kind of reduced moral involvement yeah. of people is a, is a, it's a very worrying phenomenon. And I, and I see the so-called AI systems as an extension of that. Essentially, um, you know, if the programmer designing the AI system is the one who's programming in moral choices, that's another step removed from, uh, from experiencing the consequences of those choices. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say that's really scary. I, I, I think I feel skeptical that there'll be some kind of runaway Frankenstein thing, you know, where uh, by Frankenstein I mean like technology that gets away from I know itself. What you mean. Yeah. You know, I, it, it probably won't like wipe out a whole the whole population of a country because it because it went wrong. Like, I mean, I guess it's, it's possible that kind of thing could happen. I don't think so. But what's more, much more likely is that the very ordinary process of people who are without power in our world uh, get oppressed is just going to be accelerated by um, the fact that the kind of moral um, judgments about people's behaviour are going to be separated from the the actual behaviour. Yeah. On a, before we finish this subject, although, although I think we could probably talk about this for a long time, anything to be optimistic about? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like the, uh, computers are amazing. So, yeah. um, we, we spend a lot of time moaning about social media. Um, but actually we've got, people used to talk about the global village around about the year 2000. People used to say, I remember there's going to be a yes. global village where we all love each other because we know each other now. Now, what's happened is much more like a real village. Which is that people we all, hate each we all other, hate each other because they we know, know each other. other. <laughs> 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 but it, it, but it, that, it, in some sense, that vision of a global village is taking shape in front of us. We 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 are in touch with people that we would never have been able to be in touch with. So computers yeah. brought amazing things. Uh, I mean, prosthetic limbs, uh, the ability for people to speak who have lost the ability to speak or hear who've lost the ability to hear. You know, the blind see. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. The, uh, the there are unbelievable. I mean, the the speed with which we got a vaccine together for COVID is just was breathtaking, unbelievable. So, Although that's a terrible analogy, but um, yeah, it was fast. <laughs> yeah. So um, yes, computers are utterly amazing and have completely transformed our world in ways that are yeah. good and bad, but I, I find it unbelievably exciting how good they are. Maybe computers yeah. will help us uh, avoid some of the worst catastrophic implications of climate change. Um, so yes, there's lots to hope about, but I think the history of technology is 
the history of humans becoming more powerful over the world around them. And uh, we all know that powerful humans have pluses and minuses, right? Yes. And, you know, nuclear weapons have exactly the same uh, kind of uh, pattern to them that this does. The, 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 we, when, we, when we develop new powers, we're capable of worse stuff. True. But also yeah. amazingly better stuff. You know, like, if, I mean, if you look at the energy transition at the moment, talk, just talking of nuclear, nuclear power, uh, nuclear energy comes to mind. If you look at the yeah. energy transition, lots of countries, including the UK, are now generating vast chunks of their energy from the sun and the wind, which is, which, you know, it's not perfect in terms of the impact it has on our climate, but boy, is it better than digging up millions of years old carbon and burning it. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, we, we humans are capable of brilliant. Like, imagine if we had free energy is what I'm getting at, right? Like, we're so much closer to that. We're not very close to it. But we're so much closer to just everyone having enough energy to grow all the food they need, say, or whatever it is. Well, yeah. I Every so often I read an article in New Scientist about how we're no closer to fusion <laughs> than we were before. Yeah, I'm talking about free energy from the sun, though. Like, it, Oh, I see. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not talking about fusion. I mean, fusion would be great, too. But... um yeah, like if you have enough energy, you can achieve a lot of things, including pretty much growing as much food as you need, right? Like even yes. you can even if you've got energy, you can even get water, right? Because you can get it from the sea, yeah, um, and desalinate it. So if we had sufficient free energy, um, we could feed everyone without, like at the moment, we could feed everyone by just not throwing away so much food and not eating so much meat, right? So we were already we are already in a position where we could feed everyone, absolutely. But we could feed everyone without making those compromises if we had mm. free energy. And looking at, at humanity, we're probably unlikely to make those compromises. So this is the, this is our best shot for giving everyone like decent health and food. So yes, I I am a uh, starry-eyed believer in technology. I really hope it makes everyone's lives better. But it is a very dangerous thing as well. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I think we'll wrap it up there. We might come back to this at some point as a subject. I'm though. sure. In fact, uh, we already did, so we did an episode with Fran, right? So we, we that was your intro, and this was this was yeah. that was the kind of yeah. what's underneath, and this was the kind of what's on top. Okay, fantastic. All right. Um, I've got some <coughs> AOBs. Right, 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 right. So this is our, our, our <coughs> regular report of death news. I'm afraid so, mm-hmm. yeah. So this happened a, a little while ago now, but we haven't done one of these for a while. But um, film director William Freakin died recently. Oft mentioned on this podcast. Oft mentioned on this podcast, yeah. Not for the last time, I shouldn't think. Um, so he directed two of the, I think, most influential films ever made, The French Connection and The Exorcist, mm-hmm. both within a few years of each other. So he was a... What did he describe himself? An agnostic Jew. So he was okay. born Jewish, but was never, never really attended synagogue. And, you know, just his parents just didn't really indoctrinate him. And he was the perfect person to direct The Exorcist against William Peter Blatty's incredible Catholicism. Right, right, right. Because right. Friedkin is all about the realism. Yeah. And saying, I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to make sure that this film looks genuinely real. Was Blatty the writer? Blatty was the writer, yeah. So he wrote the book and he wrote the screenplay as well. 
Um, so I think those those two films, The French Connection, which is an outstanding crime thriller, and The Exorcist, went on to define how you would make that kind of film mm. forever, mm. basically. Yeah. And they overshadowed the rest of his career. Do you remember when The Exorcist was banned in the UK? Uh, yes, by James Furman. Um, so, so James Furman was what I would call a nanny, uh, the nanny head of the um, B- BBFC during the 1980s mm. and 90s. I remember. I was so uh, scared of watching The Exorcist because it was banned. Yeah, and he banned it for a long time until he retired right, right, from right. the BBFC. And on the day after he retired, it was released on right. DVD. <laughs> I watched so. it at a cinema when it was, yes, it was I only too. banned on DVD, right? Or That's or right. Video. Yeah, you could watch yeah. it at a cinema yeah. if, if there was a screening. Yeah, I went to see it at a small cinema in London, and it was fantastic. Yeah, it's a great, it was just, great yeah. film. What an amazing film! And the French Connection is an amazing film. He 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 never really went on to make anything as good as either of those. Although Sorcerer is a fan is an amazing Sorcerer's film. A lot of fun. It's not up there with with those two. Yeah. There's also one from the 80s as well called To Live and Die in LA, which is really good. Right. Um, it's a, I suppose it's a more 80s version of French Connection. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, glitzy and glossy. Right. Yeah, so William Freakin died, uh, which is sad. Um, two other things I wanted to talk about. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We've been watching a few documentaries lately. Uh-huh. Um, both of them on uh, Netflix. Well, how on. Should I do my death news first? Yes, go, go for right, it. Right, right. So... Um, a uh, hero of of a particular part of the world, Bram Moulinar, although I've probably spelled that, uh, pronounced that wrong, uh, creator of Vim, uh, died uh, in August of this year, 2023. Quite young, I think. Wasn't that old? Um, born in 1961. Yeah. Um, he so he didn't write the original. So Vim, I should say what Vim is very briefly. Vim is a text yeah. editor that is loved by like really geeky people and was part of a big war between the two two oldest, greatest text editors, Emacs and VI. Right, um, yes. So there was a thing that already existed called VI, which was for visual mode. It was essentially, it's the first text editor where you could move around and edit text instead of just doing one line at a time. And um, it didn't, there wasn't a version of it that, that Bram liked on his Amiga, so he 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 found a version of it that was kind of being worked on on his Amiga, and made it better. And it eventually became Vim, uh, which was the version of VI that most people used most of the time. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't only developed by him, but he was a big part of um, starting it and continuing it. And uh, as far as I can tell, a bit of a dude as well. It had a weird a license Vim. It had a um, when you started up Vim, it used to say, um, you're allowed to use this, but you have to donate some money to um, aid victims <laughs> in Uganda, I think it was. Okay, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And I think they had to water that down because it, it doesn't fit the open source definition and stuff, so it was awkward, really awkward for people. But yeah, it, it, it still encouraged you to do that. Um, still does to this day, in fact. Right. Um, anyway, so it's just uh, it was a really fantastic... Editor, I love it, and, it, and I'm very grateful to Bram for all his work on it. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I remember I did read about that. Yeah, I thought that was sad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, two recommendations for documentaries. They're both on Netflix at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is called 
it's, it's either called A Deeper Breath or The Deepest Breath, which is about free diving. All right. So people who um, go down beyond 100 meters with no tanks, Goodness just on a lung full of oxygen, <laughs> a lung full of air. Wow. Um, it is absolutely fantastic, nail-biting <laughs> documentary yeah. about this one particular woman um, who uh, really wanted to break, re- break records. Right. That's all uh, she wanted to do. Oh, that would and be so her, stressful. Her relationship with a, a, a diving support person. Right, so, right. so these are people who they also free dive because if you've got tanks on, you can't go that deep. Right. Okay. You need, um, you certainly can't, can't go as deep as 100 meters with tanks on. You need nitrogen right, mix. Then right, you need to decompress right. on the way up. Right. So there are, there are other people who also go down with you to help you right. if you get into trouble. Right, right, right. Um, and it is just, it's about, yeah, the relationship that she strikes up with this support person who kind of, trains her and helps her to go deeper and deeper i wouldn't really i wouldn't take a single breath during that whole program i would actually just suffocate <laughs> that's what it feels like <laughs> a lot of the time that's what it feels like um but that's that's fantastic that's on netflix and the other one is called wham exclamation mark okay which is all about the 80s oh it is about wham okay pop group that they were around for four years um george michael and andrew ridgely it's all just, it's all, um, voiceover with archive footage. What's great about it is that even if you're not into the music, uh, which you probably aren't, no. I don't think, um, the people, you know, those two people are just so compelling right. as being school friends. So they've known, they knew each other since they were like 12 years old. Um, they, they formed a band at school mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they went on to be massively successful yeah, you know very just briefly. hugely successful yeah. very briefly yeah um but it's their relationship it's right. the way they talk about each other right. and the fact they never fell out they never had like ego moments right. of like i'm more important than you right. hmm. and then andrew ridgely who i think you know most people would say he's not the mo- not the talented person in the band right. but actually he is very very important to the band right. He says, you know, George came out to me whilst we were abroad. He said, you know, I'm not, I'm gay. Uh-huh. And, but I can't come out because we're in Wham. Yeah. So Andrew Ridgely says, well, I knew that what I needed to do was step aside so that he could get on with his life. Right, right, right. Wow. So they broke up the band. And it was just, it's just so heartwarming wow. to hear someone not put them, their ego first and just say, yeah, okay. It, this is finished now, so we're going to move on. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It is so so good. It just make you come away from it, even if you don't like the music very much. And I don't like it that much. Mm-hmm. I like an occasional song of that. I think it would be nostalgic but for me now. You just come away feeling lighter and happier about the world, right. and thinking actually there are good people in the world. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Um, and they also show a bit of uh, Live Aid, right? When George Michael sang. Uh, don't let the sun go down on me with Elton John. Right. And that was like his calling card of saying, I'm going to go solo now. Right, right, right. And his performance in that is phenomenal. Right. Like the vocal performance that he gives for that song is just incredible in front of all those people. Yeah. 
So that's quite good. You know, that kind of concert footage is... Uh, cool. What's it called? Wham. 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 Really worth a watch. If you want to have your spirits lifted, that's the one. Awesome. Yeah. So that's a couple of good recommendations right, there for right, stuff right. we've been watching lately. Well, we've been going on a long time and a member of my family is keen to talk to me, so I think we might be at the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, let's leave it there then. Thank you very much. So, thank you for letting me rant on about AI and heavy aircraft. That was very interesting. I'm going to. Uh, okay, let's let's sign off. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>